0: All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And this week, get a chance to catch up with my good friend, Aaron Bradenkamp of ESU3. He is an education consultant there. Uh, And we're gonna talk a little bit today about MTSS. And so I'm really grateful to Aaron for taking the time out of his schedule to uh, have this conversation. Uh, Aaron and I actually go all the way back to our Westside days. Uh, And so I had a chance to work with him when I was still in the classroom as uh, he was an assistant principal there for us at Westside. So I know Aaron pretty well. I'm going to give him a little bit of space here for those that don't know you, Aaron. Can you share a little bit of your backstory in education?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I am a non-traditional educator that taught in non-traditional classrooms, meaning I started my educational career as a part of Teach for America in Chicago and taught in Chicago's alternative settings classroom at the high school level after being there for a handful of years Decided so to move back to Nebraska, which is my home, and started at West Side's Alternative School. Taught there for a long time, taught mathematics, and eventually landed the position of assistant principal up at the high school. So it was nice. I think I got that position because of my view on student discipline. And I would say, overall, those formative years teaching and being a part of the alternative classroom has really shaped everything that I've been a part of in my educational career, whether it is behaviors or whether it's academics, you know, working with those students are really what continues to inspire me today.
0: Well, and this isn't the direction we're going to go, but I'm going to put you on the spot then and ask yeah. a little bit more about that as I press into it. What would you say were some of those key takeaways that that experience equips you with the perspective to, yeah, think about, as you said, discipline or, or even the relationships with those students a little differently than the than someone who doesn't have that same experience?
1: Yeah. So I think the traditional model of student success is based on things like earning grades, completing tests, things like that. And often those are used as a measurement tool of one's intelligence and ability even to learn. And I quickly learned in the alternative classroom that that's absolutely not true. I worked with some Extremely smart and intelligent students, but they had trouble doing school. School was not the easiest thing for them. And an example I often use with traditional classroom teachers is their students might score really, really high on their calculus test. But if that student was kicked out of their house that night, would they know what to do and get to school the next day? And my kids in the alternative school would, but they wouldn't score so high on the calculus test. So, really, it was just a way of trying to unlock the intelligence that they already had and oftentimes that meant giving them some confidence you know a lot of the students who fail have a track record of failure and so they almost are kind of taught in some ways that they can't be successful and it was always amazing to me when i would work with the students and give them an opportunity to be successful how quickly you could see their opinion change on themselves that they were even just putting forth effort that teachers in the traditional classroom hadn't seen, you know. And I'm not bashing on the traditional classroom. You know, I was the alternative setting works for those kids because of some of the adjustments that are made. Lower class sizes, different types of pacing, that type of thing. Incorporation of social skills that students might be lacking. So overall, I think it's just instead of approaching those students in kind of the deficit mindset, it's more of how do we optimize who they are?
0: Thanks for sharing that, and I love your heart behind that, too, and I've known that to be true about your work from the time when you were in the classroom, like, all the way through to now, and uh, I know that that is a motivating factor in your appreciation for MTSS work also, and so maybe we'll kind of do that as a little segue and a pivot, but that's really nice to have gone there Doesn't sort of establish that why ahead of time. Uh, Aaron, MTSS, for those that don't know that acronym, amongst all the other acronyms in our alphabet soup of education... Yeah. Can you talk to us about just kind of a 30,000-foot view? What is MTSS?
1: Sure. So multi-tiered systems of support. And I would be fired by the MTSS Society if I didn't mention the triangle that we've all seen at every MTSS and PBIS conference. Um, But essentially, it's the idea of kind of tiering out interventions or intensified instruction to meet student needs. And that's one nice thing about multi-tiered systems of support is that it incorporates everything else that you do in education. So anything that you're discussing falls under the MTSS umbrella. I've also heard people talk about how MTSS is the fabric that ties everything together. So for instance, equity is also a very hot conversation in education right now. And often when I engage in those conversations, we discuss how do we achieve equity through MTSS? So equity is the why and MTSS is the how, right? And you can think of that whether we're talking about math scores or social emotional learning or you know, basically anything that occurs within the school day can be incorporated into an MTSS framework. The thing I will say is that often when people hear multi-tiered systems of support, they often hear the multi-tiered and then the support. They don't spend a lot of time really thinking about that system side of things. And I'm going to say this probably umpteen times in this conversations, but One of the issues with schools, one of the reasons that we're so exhausted is that we operate more sporadically than we do systematically. And so things are often triggered as a reaction to something rather than being proactive. If you design your MTSS system properly, it really alleviates some of that run around trying to put out fires because you're really trying to think ahead of what may come down the road. That's kind of the piece that people often will, will skip over. They'll just want to talk more about intensified instructions or interventions and how do we have a student that's struggling with reading? How do we improve their reading scores? You know, that's often how they approach it.
0: Well, and so within that, too, I think it's probably good to tease out. And then I do have a follow up question to this. I think it's important to tease out what these multiple tiers are. Uh, yeah. And so can still kind of 30,000 foot view here. But could you break those down for us?
1: Yeah. So tier one is what everybody gets, whole group, whole class instruction lessons that are designed for everybody, that type of stuff. And there's a ton of stuff that falls under your tier one. And we can explore that more in depth later on, but that's your your tier one. Now there's tier two, which is kind of an extra scoop, just a little bit more. Generally, it means extending your instructional time by about 50% and utilizing some small groups. Oftentimes, when we talk about tier two, I put some pressure on schools to think about what I call tier one plus, which is kind of how do we incorporate that tier two practice within our classroom. And so you're, you're starting to see this stuff in, in a lot of curriculum as well. Worked with some districts that are doing elementary math selection, and they'll have stuff to pull students over to a corner for a quick reteach of what the lesson was right so that should be your tier two it's generally just a smaller group about 50 percent additional instructional time and then you hit tier three which is personalized and should be about a hundred percent more instructional time so if you think about we go back to tier two tier two is really still kind of based on your curriculum and instruction that you have where i always view tier three as more of a skill set lack So a student who doesn't quite get the lesson, but just needs an additional couple minutes with a teacher, that's going to be a tier two intervention or intensified instruction. If that student can't even access that lesson because they lack some skills, whether they're reading deficit, mathematics deficits, however, you know, social emotional deficits, that's where you start to get to a tier three, where you really start to personalize what you're providing with the students and make it so that it meets their direct
0: need. So uh, I think probably the best place to kind of break that down, and this is part of my follow-up question, was uh, to think about that specifically in, in Tier 1 and, mm-hmm. and what you alluded to earlier, that whole point of being proactive versus reactive. Would you be able to share with us for Tier 1, what does it look like to be proactive versus reactive in that whole group space?
1: Yeah, first of all, I think it starts with being Intentional. And intentional with all of the tools that make up your tier one. So, your curriculum is a tier one, your instructional model is a tier one, your professional development, it should impact your tier one. You know, even your walkthroughs and teacher evaluations should guide that tier one instruction. So, once you kind of align everything and understand how they're all connected, and you're helping to support staff to really I don't want to say improve, but put a focus and emphasis on their practices of tier one. I think that's the initial step, right? Oftentimes we might buy a curriculum and then just assume that that's being implemented at the classroom level, but we're not providing support for that teacher or we're not allowing that teacher time to collaborate in PLCs to improve their practices. So for me, that's that's often where I start with schools is taking the tools you already have, but making sure they're threaded together to support your tier one. The next part is really making sure that you're collecting data. And that's one thing that separates MTSS from a lot of previous initiatives in education is often in education, when we talk about intensifying intervention or even discipline, it's usually based on what I call the narrative model where the squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know? So what happens is we have a student that's fallen far behind and finally a teacher decides that it reaches the point where they're going to need assistance. And so they just kind of, talk about what they're experiencing in the classroom. And while that's not of no value, when we start to talk about being proactive, that's where things like data collection and data dashboards allow us to maybe catch that before the student's way too far behind. And that's really what I saw within the education of the alternative classroom, right? Those students were way behind by the time they got to my classroom. So there was probably multiple opportunities throughout their educational career where just a little bit of assistance could have allowed them to thrive more than they did. So really, we got to make sure that we're collecting data in a way that fits into our classroom, fits into our curriculum instruction, but is also able to be used so that we can create these early warning systems where we can identify students who might be having struggles within different areas and need some tier two support or even a tier one plus support so you talk about uh, we'll go back to the same example of uh, elementary mathematics so part of that when we were discussing incorporating those one plus strategies within the classroom one of the things we had to help teachers with was instructional design so that those kind of questions were a part of their everyday lesson so they quickly knew which students they needed to pull off to the side to give an additional instructional time to It's those kind of conversations where you're really trying to make sure that you're collecting the data and then you're also using it to determine what your next steps are.
0: Which makes total sense because that's why I could see why it would be so necessary to have PLCs that are functioning at a pretty high level because maybe you might not even notice within your own classroom's data, some things relative to common assessments with other teachers, right? I mean, is there anything to that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I often say PLCs are tier one problem solving teams, you know, because they incorporate so much of what is MTSS. You know, they incorporate data, they incorporate problem solving processes, they incorporate identifying ways to improve or intensify instruction. So the PLC, in my opinion, is essential to having a really well-rounded tier one. Also, in my opinion, the expertise of tier one comes out of the classroom. Right, that's really who drives and thrives that tier one within a school. You know, an administrator can support it, like I talked about, by designing professional development or designing time within the calendar year or things like that. But really, the practices within the classroom are what's going to build your, your tier one.
0: And, and that's what reminds me of. Uh, and I would encourage folks to go back and listen to the previous podcast from Kay Novak, where she advocates for employing different strategies or at least having different choice options for students uh, so that they might be able to find strategies that help them in that whole class setting uh, that, right, would that then be the proactive type of practice that you're talking about?
1: Absolutely, yeah. A lot of times throughout the problem-solving processes when you get to these problem-solving teams, you know, those conversations can sometimes be uncomfortable for teachers and educators because I think they feel often like it's a gotcha Or like they're not doing their job to the fullest. And really, I think you got to have that MTSS mindset where it's less about what you're not doing and more about what the student needs, right? What are their needs or how can they access the learning rather than focusing purely on what you aren't doing? You know, it's more about how do I change so that the student can access what I'm trying to teach?
0: This reminds me of a conversation that I had with two of our former colleagues, actually, who, and we won't get into much more detail than this, but (laughs) um, who I got a chance to work with when I was at Westside. They were on a team together, and they've been on a team together for about 12 years. Uh, just the two of them, and they kind of run into each other a little bit when they started on that team to a degree where they're like, all right, we got the same common summatives. Uh, we'll do maybe one or two common formatives and just stay out of each other's way and yeah. and talk about the data. But I mean, generally speaking, though, in terms of how they ran their classroom uh, and the practices within that were not things that they were really wanting to discuss or collaborate on. And our conversation when I got a chance to work with them was, okay, well, what what if... Uh, you still did the thing that you love to do, but yeah. then also incorporated what the other teacher does as well, just situationally, right. And it, where that makes sense. And I understand that's not applicable to every moment of their classroom or all the content that they potentially go through, but it was so interesting because they agreed to do that. And then when I followed up with them later, they both said that they felt like about 50 percent of their students went about this particular activity, the way that they, themselves had always taught it. And that the other 50 <laughs> did, did the other teacher strategy. And they were floored at this yeah. thought that like for the last 12 years, 50% of the students could have had access, like you're saying, you know, through a different avenue uh, that would have been maybe a little bit more ideal for them. Uh, and all it took, I think in this instance, at least, was just being open to differences that that were there and considering just learning from, from somebody on their team. So there's Back to the power of PLC.
1: Yes, 100 percent. Yeah. And incorporating those differentiated practices in your classroom are, again, what's going to make those lessons accessible to students who may not have been even a participant of them prior. You know, and that's again, back to my past. That's where I saw kids in the alternative school who were tackling algebra two problems that previously teachers said would never even get passed. Algebra one, you know, but if you can provide them and shape things in a manner that meets that need, back to that idea of equity as well, that's where you start to really see the power of MTSS. Um, And then that's back to that idea of what students need. It becomes more of that kind of concept of being prescriptive with your instructional practices.
0: So I guess then the most logical next step would be to ask how do we go about starting to invest in this MTSS work if a district has not yet? And what's kind of helpful for those starting out? Yeah.
1: One of the things I love about MTSS work is that they are founded in implementation surveys, if you will, implementation guides. And if you use those to develop your action plans and move slowly, you can create your MTSS system. The old saying, you got to go slow to go fast. I know it's frustrating, but that's 100 percent true in MTSS. And the reason it's so true in MTSS is because some of these conversations are really big. Some of them are super difficult, and some of them take a lot of coordinating, a lot of different pieces, right? Particularly when we start thinking about the secondary level, where there's so many cogs in the wheel within a secondary building. So I would strongly suggest looking up what's called the SAM. And that's your measurement that will measure how implemented you have with MTSS. So get a team together that's going to be your MTSS team. Make sure it incorporates admin, counselors, academics, uh, teachers, you know, all those things. A lot of times they end up being the continuous improvement team, depending on the capacity you're building. But start on that and dive into the SAM and try to find out where you currently are. And then it can be daunting because you can see 10,000 things you could do, right? Yeah, 10, ways you could be better. And so I always tell teams, pick one or two, maybe three that you want to put an emphasis on for next year and focus on those. And the nice thing about the SAM is it's set up in a matrix. So if you're in the two box, you can quickly identify what I got to do to get to the three box and use those items to drive your action plan. And then spend the year trying to focus and work on those things that you want to have an emphasis on. And over time, you will see a system develop. you know it's not going to be overnight. you're not going to be zero to MTSSN because you come to ESU three for one session. that's not how that works because really what MTSSN is is that continual process of improvement, that continual lens of what can we be doing different how can we be doing this better? You know, what's the data telling us that we need to have improvements on but identifying those kind of slow steps and growth are really what's going to lead you down the paths to success. And when you start to see the rewards of that, you know, that's often where staff buy-in then really starts to come through because they're starting to see how by being more efficient and more effective with what's going on in the school day, it kind of opens up some opportunities for them to have a little bit more focus because again, they're not being as sporadic, you know, things are systematic at that point. So,
0: and with that, and you talked about it in there, the role that ESU colleagues like yourself play in those conversations, I mean, it's critical, right? We're not showing up for one day of training. This is ongoing support. And that's something that you do on a regular basis, which is why I appreciate the opportunity to chat about this. How, yeah. how many schools do you support with this work in particular? Uh, really. And with that, I'm sure that there are lessons that you learn in one context that apply to the other, being able to jump in and out of systems, right?
1: Yeah, so directly titled MTSS, we serve 11 different secondary schools. And the term secondary there is very important because a lot of other entities don't focus on secondary. They'll focus on anybody. And often who shows up first are the elementary buildings. And elementaries are awesome at MTSS. And they do amazing work at MTSS. And they move so fast because they have a much smaller staff. They have a teacher that's with the students for almost the majority of the day. They can just unroll things way faster than high schools and middle schools. And so we serve 11 middle schools where we really act as the guide on the side for some of those tough conversations that often have to happen at the high school level, right? But then there's so many other things that are within the MTSS framework that we support. So we support school mental health workshops where we help schools design that side of their MTSS system, where they talk about what is tier one, what is tier two, what is tier three for school, for mental health within our buildings. Behavior, same thing, PDIS, right? We talk about tier ones, two, and three of behavior. So even though it's not directly labeled as MTSS, if your system's functioning in the correct way, it all falls under there. Right. There shouldn't be anything that you can do that is outside of that. That's why they often get called the umbrella. Right. That's the, the right. Cliche.
0: Well, and as you were talking there, too, it reminded me of and we do these social PD stories where it's a 90 second snippet of professional learning through our social media. Uh, Jeff McQuiston put one of those together and it was talking about the relationship between uh, continuous improvement, MTSS, uh, and also the simple service uh, as far as districts self-identifying some of those supports they'd like to see from their ESUs. And uh, so in your answer, that all makes sense to me. Like I, I see how when you identify where you want to go next and you have the tiers to sort of follow and the ESU support and clearly identified needs that the ESUs can step in and help take care of. That was great to learn that to think about that, yes, any and all of these supports do have their place within this work. And that, that is how our ESU statewide serve MTSS. Is great. I just, I just think it's great. I'm I piecing it together here. This is me verbal yeah. processing with you, Aaron. I, <laughs> I'm grateful for the space. Uh, but that's uh, a light bulb coming on for me here, I guess. So I, that, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and that's our goal for other schools too. You know, I'm working with one district right now. We're working on academics, social, emotional, and behavioral. And I think next year, there's going to be a thousand light bulbs that go off with people because right now we're in the muck. We're really hard to see the forest and the trees. And I think when we come up on the other side of it, they're really going to understand how everything is connected and how practices are tied together. You know, it is, it is nice because from a teacher's perspective, I remember always feeling like it was one more thing. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of one more things in education, even in my, you know, what some would call shorter career than others. There's been a lot of one more things and the old adage that, you know, we're going to put, we'll never put something on your plate without taking something off. Well, I know I've never experienced that. I've experienced a lot putting on the plate, but not the other way around. And with MTSS, if you really get to an emphasis of it being systems, it allows you to understand things that are on your plate that are either unnecessary or not impactful. And it kind of gives you that out of like, doesn't work. It's not a part of our system. So it doesn't need to be in here. You know, we often work with schools where we'll talk about the teams within their building and they'll have a spaghetti monster of teams that do a thousand different things. And we really try to get them to understand that they probably don't need that many teams. They can probably align things so that things are more efficient. And then that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If I'm a teacher that's on four teams, maybe I only have to be on one team now. And that saves me time, which is impactful to my students in the classroom, right back to that tier one stuff. Mm -hmm. So if we can make people make connections like that and see the efficiency within the model and allow them that opportunity to say, this doesn't work. We understand it might not be the most comfortable thing for us, for adults, but it doesn't work and is not a part of our system. Again, MTSS provides you that kind of basis of your argument.
0: Gosh, Aaron, I so appreciate you taking some time to visit with us today. I've learned so much over the course of this conversation and I always appreciate too. And I know that this is all yeah, near and dear to your why and your yeah. heart for, for kids. And that's inspiring to me. And it's something that I know is great work that is shared throughout our ESU network with colleagues who are advocating for this work across the entire state of Nebraska. So uh, thanks for what you do each and every day. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. Yeah. Uh, thanks for letting
1: me be a part of it.